Um, this week, uh, I decided to get a little adventurous in uh, the message, venturing into uncharted territories, uh, so to speak. And today, what I want to do is I want to talk about the book of Tobit. How many of you have heard about the book of Tobit? Oh, wow. Well, then I'm going to need to give a disclaimer, since there's very few hands in regard to hearing about the book of Tobit. And let me begin by saying J.R. Tolkien did not write this book. <laughs> this has nothing to do with The Hobbit. It's not part of The Hobbit series. Actually, it's found in, in a collection of books known as The Apocrypha. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you heard of The Apocrypha? Many, many more. Well, the book of Tobit is actually included uh, within the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha has been hotly debated. For almost 2,000 years, the Apocrypha has been debated on whether or not the books that are found therein should be considered inspired at the level of Scripture. Some of the church fathers believe that, yes, this is inspired. These books are inspired. At least some of them, they would tell you, they are absolutely inspired. While others would debate, well, there's too many questions. There's specific statements made, and we're not going to quite hold it up there. But whatever camp you fell in, both parties believed that they were valuable for study. They were highly esteemed. But let me build upon that reality for a second. Let me, let me give you a little backdrop in regard to the Apocrypha. Number one, the Apocrypha was included in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible. It was also included in the Latin Vulgate as you get into the 5th century. This is the early times. Not just that, but the original King James Version, 1611, included the Apocrypha. It included the book of Tobit. Just to give you some perspective, but let's go a little bit further. And this one's very important to me. And that is, the book of Tobit explicitly was found in the caves of Qumran. It was found in the caves of Qumran, what we call now call the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it wasn't just found in one language. It was found in multiple languages, in Hebrew and in Aramaic. And let me tell you why that is fascinating. Because as you go home and do your little research on the book of Tobit, what you're going to find is there is many, many, many commentaries that will tell you, well, this is one of the reasons they believe that the book of Tobit wasn't included in our Bible as we have it today. One of the arguments is that, well, there's, there's uh, authenticity questions. There's no Hebrew original. And you're going to read this. Yes, there is a Hebrew original. It's found in the caves of Qumran. There's an Aramaic, Aramaic version, too. And then obviously it went on to be translated into Latin, as you get into the Vulgate, and then also in Greek. And so this book has a deep history. And what it tells us, I, I simply make the point that this book has been read. This book has been studied by those in the faith, those waiting for the Messiah Yeshua to come, those who confess that he has come. It has been studied. One thing I know is if you're familiar with this book, with Scripture, with the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, and you go and you read this book, the book of Tobit, I'm going to tell you right now, be prepared. <clears throat> it is going to be a fascinating read. And let me tell you why. 
Because as you read the book of Tobit, you're going to see the principles of Torah flowing out of it in a very, very incredible way. It's this beautiful love story of family. And when I say love story, the story, the really or simple overview of this thing is that you have this beautiful story of a father instructing and training and teaching his son. Tobit is the father and the son is Tobias. And just to see him go through and to do what Torah commands us as fathers to do, to instruct our children in the ways that they should go so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. But to see it in a real-life scenario and to see it unfold, it's beautiful. It's precious. Well, let me tell you, one of the things that Tobit does, that he instructs his son Tobias, one of the things he's really, really careful about conveying is the topic of alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. And the way he describes this, i got to tell you, as you go through it, it's so compelling it's so moving, you will want to follow these instructions. And see, when I hear words like what Tobit speaks and what you're going to see today, where they cut you to the heart and you move, you know there is spirit. The Ruach HaKodesh, the Spirit of God, is behind it. When it moves me to walk in righteousness, these are good words. Amen? So... Today, what I'd like to do is I'd like to share some of this with you. And we are going to put the book of Tobit under the microscope, the scriptural microscope. It will be put up against scripture. And uh, by the end of today, you're going to see just how powerful the concept of giving alms for the poor really is. And I'm going to tell you, I'll just spoiler alert here. Alms for the poor, when put into practice in your life, will unlock the gates of heaven. And we want to talk about revival. And we want to talk about the presence and the power of God being in this place. This is a significant component. This is something that falls right into line with where we've been at in talking about revival. So I thought this would be perfect to address today. With that said, I want to take you to the book of Tobit. And as we come to chapter 4, Tobit, you're going to have a look at how he gives his son instructions. He's speaking to his sons, and this is what he says in Tobit chapter 4, verse 5. Revere the Lord all your days, my son, and refuse to sin or transgress his commandments. Live uprightly all the days of your life, and do not walk in the ways of wrongdoing. For those who act in accordance with truth will prosper in all their activities to all those who practice righteousness. And then he goes on. Give alms from your possessions. This is what he said. Give alms from your possessions and do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. So Tobit, in delivering the instructions of the Lord to his son Tobias, he's very careful to include this aspect of giving to the poor. But not just that, it's critical on how we give to the poor. Notice that he says at the end, do not let your eye begrudge the gift when you make it. It is of no value for us to give when we're complaining about it. If we give and we regret giving and we're concerned, oh, I, should, I, should, I, I shouldn't have given him that money. You say that, erase what you gave him because it will not be accounted to you. The only way it's profitable for us to give is with the pure heart 
with a sincere care, with an undying devotion to love our neighbor as ourself. That is the only way it's accepted. And that's exactly what Tobit is teaching his son. Well, and what a coincidence. This is a biblical concept. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Exactly what Tobit is teaching his son. We are not to begrudge the gift. Where God loves the cheerful giver. It's a good heart. It's when we look at someone in need, and we don't even consider ourselves, we're too consumed with their well-being. And this is just, this is a scriptural concept. I want to take you to the 15th chapter of Deuteronomy, where the 15th chapter, it's known as the chapter of the Shemitah, or as we would say in the, in, in the English, the year of release. Every seven years, there would be a release of debts, a Shemitah. Debts would be forgiven. They'd be wiped out. Well, let me read to you what is actually said here. In Deuteronomy 15, verse 7, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren... And so the context is already laid out. We're dealing with those who are in need. This is going to the top. Within any of your gates in your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shall you shut your hand from your poor brother, but you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need. Whatever he needs. Moving on to verse 9. Beware. So now we get into this warning. We were commanded, give to the poor, open your hand wide. But now a warning comes in. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying, the seventh year, the year of release, the Shemitah, is at hand, and your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing, and he cry out to the Lord against you, and it becomes sin among you. Now let me paint the context here of what he's getting at. And it's and I shared this before, the first time in my life that I went through the Torah, as I get to the beginning that we're supposed to be, it's talking about the year release and, and that the, the debts are forgiven and you're thinking to yourself, man, if I lent money, it's gone. If I borrowed my brother any money, it's gone. Well, this text goes into and says, don't you dare get wicked. Don't get wicked in your heart. And you who have been blessed, knowing that the Shemitah is coming, and you begin to hide yourself. Because all of a sudden, you know in your wicked heart that all the poor people are going to come out of every rock and crag and they're going to ask you, I need help, brother. I need help. And you know, well, the Shemitah's at hand. And whatever I give them, I'm not getting it back. Scripture warns, don't you do that. But I want you to feel the weight of this warning. Look at the very end. It says, and if he cries out to the Lord against you, it will become sin to you. Let me tell you something right now. You do not want the poor. You do not want the widows or the orphans crying out to God because you refuse them. You go to Exodus 22. Do you know what it says? That if you afflict the the widows and the orphans, you afflict the poor, and they cry out to the Lord, you are a dead man. The Lord says in the passage, he actually says, I will come and I will kill you with the sword. You think about the weight of that. It makes you start to reassess your financial obligations a little bit. When the Lord has sworn, he will come and kill you. If someone that you have afflicted or you've turned your hand away and it becomes sin, you may find yourself 
uh, leaving this earth before your time. Now, we get to the point of where I was going as we get to verse 10. Look at what it says. You shall surely give to him. And what does it say? Your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. Exact same thing Tobit is teaching his son. The exact same thing Paul is teaching the Corinthians, and by extension, us. And now we see the Torah says, hey, don't you dare fall into this. Do not let your heart be grieved. But then it goes on to say, because for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you, will bless you in all your works and in all to which you put, put your hand. You want to talk about blessing, having blessing? You want to talk about having honor and protection and provision? You want to talk about favor? Alms for the poor. Give alms for the poor, and I'll tell you, you will have blessing, you will have honor, you will have favor. The Lord has spoken. It will come to pass. It will come to pass. We remember the poor, God is going to remember us. This is how it works. This is what we call the golden rule. Do unto others as we would have them do unto us. It's the golden rule. Now, going back to the book of Tobit, Tobit goes on, instructing his son, if you have many possessions, make your gift from them in proportion. If few, do not be afraid to give according to the little you have. Well, this is interesting that he makes this statement. And I say interesting because it rings my bell. When it talks about even though when you're poor and you're in need, this is Tobit instructing the son, son, if, if you come upon hard times, do not close your hand. Even still, do not close your hand. Still, open your hand even up to those who are even less fortunate than you. Well, where have we heard this type of mantra? Well, the teachings of Yeshua. Let me take you to the Gospel of Luke 21, verse 1. And Yeshua looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all for all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. It's the same concept that Tobit is conveying to his son, what Yeshua teaches us. The beautiful part of all of this is, is that when the poor give, when those who are in need go out and meet the needs of others like this widow did, and she didn't even consider it, the amazing thing is, is God does not calculate it the way the world would calculate it. God has a different calculator. This is one of the things that I learned from my own father early on in life. One of the, one of the best things that my dad ever instilled in me at a young age was generosity. Was being willing to open my hand. Even as a little child, my dad used to stick fives, tens, twenties, and fifties in my hand to go give to people on the street. This is what he used to do. And so at a very young age, I was aware to the alms to the poor. It was important. I saw that in my parents. I, this is what they instilled in me. I didn't know any other way. This is, we're supposed to consider them. Well, one of the things that he taught me is, is that even when we don't have much and we give, it's counted even more than if the rich give out of their abundance. And it was taken directly from Scripture. For example... If a guy comes up to me, he has $100,000 he wants to give me, that's a lot of money. Wonderful. 
That's an amazing gift on any level. It's an amazing gift, but he's a multi-multi-millionaire. And then I have a poor widow come to me, an older lady, and she gives me $5. And she only has $7 total in her, at her disposal. She has nothing else. That $5 in the eyes of God is far more than that 100000 But you were to ask the world, and the world will tell you she gave nothing. Pay attention to this person. This person's giving you a lot. That is not judging with righteous judgment. That's judging according to the world's eyes. Now, continuing on in the book of Tobit. If you have many possessions, make your gift from them in proportion. If you do not be afraid to give according to the little you have. So you will be laying up good treasure for yourself against the day of necessity. By giving to the poor, we lay up good treasure. Where have I heard this type of terminology before? Oh yeah, Yeshua. Again, this is what he teaches in Matthew six nineteen. Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth, where moth and rust destroy, or where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The exact same thing Tobit is telling his son. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Moving on to verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore, now pay close attention, if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Now, before we continue any further, you need to understand the context of what Yeshua is saying, or you will not feel the weight and gravity of actually what's being conveyed. This is all about giving to the poor. It's what it's about. Yeshua is talking about having a good eye and having a bad eye. It is all about giving to the poor, to those who are in need. And now you might say, well, Daniel, I think, uh, I think you're reading into that a, a, a little bit because it just seems like a general statement that if I is good in general, if we just do good as a person, then uh, we're going to be full of light. But if I are bad and we just walk in unrighteous, no, no, no. That is not what is being said here. You cannot miss the context or you'll miss the whole point of what Yeshua is getting across and these great words that have weight to them. He is explicitly referring to the poor. And most of you know me by now. I'm going to prove this in Scripture. Okay? So let's go to Scripture so that we can really see from a Jewish perspective. This is Jewish terminology. To a first century Jew, there was no confusion. But you get away from the Jewishness of the faith and people start creating different ideas and understandings. Well, let's go back to the Jewish frame of mind. Let's go back to the Tanakh in Proverbs 22, verse 9. We read, He who has a generous eye, to have a more hyper, and I don't have a problem with the translation, but to have a more hyper-literal translation, it shouldn't say generous, it should say exactly what Yeshua said, a good eye. It is tov ayin. Tov is good. I say, Boker tov, good morning. Tov is good. The exact same word that Yeshua, we just got hearing him say. So it says, he who has a good eye will be blessed for he gives of his bread to the poor. 
So in Scripture, from a scriptural perspective, when we're talking about having a good eye, we are specifically referring to how you open and take care of the poor. That's what we're dealing with. Let me take you back to Deuteronomy 15 and reread it. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your what? Your eye be evil. Ra'ayin. Your eye be evil against your poor brother, and you give him nothing. Here we are dealing again with the eye, explicitly in the context of giving or not giving to the poor. This is the context. So when Yeshua says, going back to Matthew 6.21, when he says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now we want to get into the weight of this thing, saying if you open your hand to the poor and you are concerned about the poor and you're willing to give whatever you have, you will be full of light. Your your temple of the living God will be full of Yeshua, the light of the world. That's a powerful concept. But then it goes on and says, um, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. When you shut your hand to the poor who cries out to you for help, know this, you are filling your temple with darkness. And I assure you, you cannot walk in the power of God. There will be no revival when you are filled with darkness. It just cannot happen. Now, as Yeshua continues, I'm just going to confirm the whole context of what we're talking about and show you this is all about money and giving to the poor. Listen to what Yeshua says as he continues. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and what? Mammon, mammona in the Greek. Riches. You ever wonder why this statement was even put here at the end? You put it all together because we're all the, the topic is giving to the poor. It's how you conduct your finances. How you're willing or not willing to give. And what the Lord says when he's talking about being full of light and being full of darkness, then the Lord says that you cannot serve God and mammon. In other words, if I give to the poor, it tells me I am serving God. And if I don't, who am I serving? Myself. Riches. I'm going to tell you something, a very simple economic principle, and take it to the bank. Very simple. Either you control your money or your money controls you. There's only two camps on this. I used to work in this environment, getting to see how people operated with their money. And I realized that very, very quickly. I realized, I saw those clientele that their money controlled them and others who had control over it. You do not want to be a slave to the world. You do not want to be a slave to money where it controls you and it allows you to make your decisions for you. You're not basing your decisions on whether you should open your hand to your brother based upon Scripture, based upon what the Lord's pleading with you, ultimately trying to bless you, having treasure, building up good treasure. This is scary stuff. When you, when you look at this, man, you want to talk about putting 
alms to the poor in, in context. This is heavy, heavy stuff. Going back to the uh, book of Tobit. So you will be laying up good treasure for yourself against the day of necessity. He sure sounds, he talks a lot like Yeshua. You're going to find this. Tobit, in his instructions, he doesn't just talk like the Torah as we see. He talks like Yeshua, saying the same things he says. For almsgiving delivers from death and keeps you from going into darkness. Isn't that interesting? The very same terminology of Yeshua saying, you will be going into darkness, your whole body will be full of darkness if you refuse the poor. And here, Tobit says the very same thing. It's the exact same teaching. Indeed, now listen to this. Almsgiving for all, uh, almsgiving for all who practice it, it is an excellent offering in the presence of the Most High. It is an offering that ascends to the throne of God. I mean, that is, I mean, how powerful is that? And even more, the concept, it's far more powerful when you realize you have drawn the attention of the creator of heaven and earth. You, he has turned his eyes to you when your offering goes up. You know, as I've mentioned so many times in the art of spiritual warfare, the things that we do in the physical realm have massive impact in the spiritual realm. A massive impact massive impact I want to take you to the book of Acts I want to build upon this concept I want to put this to this test and I want to know is Tobit full of it is he full of baloney when he says almsgiving is an actual sacrifice it ascends to the Lord God or is this legitimate well let's go to the book of Acts in Acts 10 we read the following there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, one who feared God with all his household. And what does he do? Who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. One thing that has always grabbed me, it has gripped me about entering into Acts chapter 10 is the way Luke introduces Cornelius. His character, his integrity, the way he describes them, two things. He prays to God always, and he gives alms generously to the poor. You want to talk about an introduction, there's no question about what kind of man Cornelius is. He is a servant of the Most High God. Well, I want to show you what happens when we pray without ceasing. As we covered last week, when we pray day and night, and when we give alms, to the poor. Look at what happens. We move to verse 3. About the ninth hour of the day, Cornelius saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Listen to this, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Your prayers and your alms have come. You remember what Tobit said? Almsgiving is an actual sacrifice that reaches the throne in Shemaim in heaven where the Lord sits. And now we have scriptural evidence that what Tobit is saying, he knows what he's talking about. I mean, Tobit revealed a spiritual concept to his son, a spiritual reality of what happens when he does something that seems inconsequential in the physical realm. Oh, it's very consequential. It's very powerful. 
it goes to the Father in heaven. And one thing I want to point out here in this story is that you'll notice here that God didn't just take notice of Cornelius's offering. You remember, as I said, that we, we have the ability to draw God's attention for him to turn his eyes to us. It's more than that. Because God responded to Cornelius. He actually responds to Cornelius's prayer. He answers his prayer. Very monumental to point out. If we would just apply the principles. I mean, how many times that I've had to go to my knees and say, Lord, i got to get right. I've got to start doing the things that I'm reading about in Scripture. If I want to have the experiences that these men had, I have to do what they did. It's that simple. We have to be willing to walk this out, not study it. We need to learn to do. Amen? The question is, is how bad do you want it? That's what it comes down to. How much do you love Yeshua? How much do you love the world? That's the battle that's waging in your hearts, in your minds. That's the battle that wages in mine. It's who do we love more? If you want to find out where you're at, just do a personal audit. And where's your money going? And where's your time? Those two things. Just go home, start budgeting, start auditing, start looking at where's the majority of my money going and where's the majority of my time going. And you'll find out where you're at. Hebrews 13, verse 16. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such what sacrifices God is well pleased. To do good and to share. He's talking about caring for those in need. For loving on those, for being good Samaritans. Those in the time of need. And there it is again, that term, sacrifices to God, but not just sacrifices, the ones that are pleasing to Him. Pleasing to Him. Philippians 4.18 Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full in every seed from Epaphroditus. The things sent from you, a sweet smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well, pleasing to God. And going back to the book of Tobit, I want to jump ahead. I want to go to chapter 12. If you think what Tobit has unleashed so far is profound, and it is, wait till you hear what he says next. This is extremely... There are two statements he's going to make that is going to bring you to awe. And this is what he says in verse 8. Prayer with fasting is good, but better than both is what? almsgiving with righteousness. I want you to think about it. We stop right here. Think about that concept. Prayer and fasting is good, but almsgiving with righteousness is better? I mean, you read this book, and prayer and fasting is where it's at. There's no question about it. You want to talk about putting this into context, Tobit moves it to the highest of heights of what the Lord is asking us to do. He wants us to walk in righteousness and open our hand to the poor. This is what He wants. This is, I mean, this statement brings you to awe. Continuing on, a little with righteousness is better than wealth with wrongdoing. It is better to give alms than to lay up gold. Now listen to this. If that last statement did grab you, this one will. 
For almsgiving saves from death and purges away every sin. (laughs) Is he serious? Almsgiving saves from death and purges away every sin. Those who give alms will enjoy a full life. Tobit reveals here one of the most powerful concepts that anyone could possibly employ regarding alms for the poor. Saving and purging. Saving from death, purging from sin. At first blush, what does this sound like? Blasphemy! Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right? I mean, one thing I will testify of here with no reservation is, I know I am saved by the blood of Yeshua, by the sacrifice. That is the only way I get into heaven. Are you telling me that Tobit, who maybe on the surface appears to be very uninformed of how this really salvation really works, are you telling me that Tobit believes that we, in and of ourselves, apart from God, can make atonement for ourselves? Is that what he is saying? The answer to that is no. Tobit is not saying that. Uh, he is making this statement all with the understanding and in the context of being under the grace of God. Being under the grace of God. He's simply revealing here that the decisions that we make in this life make a difference. They make a difference. They make a difference. The decisions you choose or choose not to do will have an effect at the end of the age. Let me, again, put a statement like this must be put up against Scripture so that we can understand the gravity of what he just said and appreciate it. We go to Psalms 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. That means turning, you yourself are deciding, you're making the decision, you are not a robot, you have free will, you are making the decision to turn away from the devil in sin and turn to God. And we're told, according to Scripture, something that Tobit was well acquainted with, when we do that, something happens. We cleanse our way. This is what happens. Read Ezekiel 18. And it's interesting, you'll find a statement in Ezekiel 18. It says, if we turn from our wickedness and do what is lawful and right, we will live. We will be given life. Call that saving from death. And you know what's interesting? Do you know what it says in the passage? And then it says, well, Israel cries out, well, the way of the Lord is not fair. That statement, the way of the Lord is not fair, has been repackaged today in saying, no, that sounds like workspace system. It's been repackaged. It still exists. That statement still exists today. It's just been repackaged in a little different form. And now there are people who say, no, no, that sounds like worse Torah. Oh, no, that's legalism. That's law. Commandments. No, 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 we don't need the commandments. We just need Yeshua, this, this belief and this concept. And it goes completely against what Craig prayed this morning. Faith without works is dead. It goes completely against that. So when Tobit makes this statement, for almsgiving saves from death and purges away every sin, it's in the context of one who has received this beautiful grace of God, and because they fear God, they turn from wickedness and they turn 
towards righteousness. But let me take this a step further. And I want to show you, I want to prove to you scripturally that what Tobit says here is, is truth. In its context is absolute truth. And I want to show you a passage that almost verbatim covers this. Covers this exact same thing. It's found in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, we find Nebuchadnezzar, he has this dream. The dream's about himself. This angel comes down. He's commanded by the Lord, chop that tree down. He calls to have it interpreted. Daniel comes. He interprets the dream. I mean, you can imagine how scary this would be if you're Nebuchadnezzar and even Daniel having to speak to him. Well, the dream I'm talking about here, King, it's about you. So Daniel does something very wise. He offers the king some advice. And his advice for us today is the very words that Tobit spoke to his son. Listen to what he says here. In Daniel 4.27, Therefore, O king, Nebuchadnezzar, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins. How? By being righteous. And your iniquities. How? By showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. What did Tobit say to his son? Prayer and fasting is good, but better than both is almsgiving with righteousness. Tobit brought out two things. Better than that is almsgiving with righteousness. You see anything interesting about that? Daniel says the exact same thing. He says, break off your sins by being righteous. Break off your iniquities by almsgiving. Exact same statement. Daniel knew what he was talking about. He knew exactly what he was talking about. And what I'm showing you here, you need to appreciate the power of almsgiving. This is a principle that we as believers in Yeshua need to embrace. We want to unlock the gates of heaven? We need to be doing this. Let me take this a step further and build upon this crazy notion that almsgiving has the power to break off sins. I want to take you to the 25th chapter of Matthew, and I want to look at what something that Yeshua says that is both enlightening and also frightening all at the same time. And that's usually how he carries the day. But going to Matthew 24, 25, verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Going on to verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So Yeshua, get this in the context, at the end of the age, this is the judgment. At the end of the age, he is going to cry out to those on his right hand and tell them, come in. You are allowed to inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Alms for the poor. Because when he was hungry, they fed him. When he was thirsty, they gave him drink. And when he was naked, they clothed him. Alms for for the boar. Yes, it saves from death. Do you understand this? It 
can save you from death. This is why they're invited into the kingdom of God. And it's just an interesting side note that when we go back to Tobit, wouldn't you know Tobit makes the very same type of statement in verse 16. Give some of your food to the hungry and some of your clothing to the naked. Give all your surplus as alms and do not let your eye begrudge your giving of alms. I mean, Tobit's words, again, are almost verbatim to that of Yeshua's. You can say whatever you want of the book of Tobit, and you can call it not inspired. I don't, I don't even need to debate that because it doesn't matter to me because everything must be filtered through the Bible. But one thing I can tell you this is that when Tobit speaks, he sounds a lot like my master. He sounds identical to my master Yeshua. He talks like him. What does that tell you? When people talk like Yeshua, it tells me they have a relationship with Yeshua. When they bear the fruit that Yeshua bore, it tells me they're in relationship with Yeshua. They know my master. That's what it tells me. The moral of the story today is we need to learn and implore the, the, the power of almsgiving. This is what we need to do. I want to take you to Psalms continue to show you this power to the chief musician a mismore le david a psalm of david blessed is he who considers the poor the lord will deliver him in time of trouble do you see the benefits of almsgiving when it talks about saving from death it's not even just talking about in the age to come when we're in our time of trouble we're told we have the benefit of god delivering us that's an amazing Think about that concept. Going on in verse 2, The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he will be blessed on the earth. You will not deliver him to the will of his enemies. Then it says, The Lord will strengthen him on his bed of illness. You will sustain him on his sickbed. Are you kidding me? Now it tells me that when people are ailing and they are ill that the fact that I have opened my hand wide to the poor, that I have heard the poor, well, now I realize my God, the God of Israel, is going to hear me when I cry out in the illness. He will hear. This is the benefits of almsgiving. It's Jewish. It's completely, this has been one of, if you want to understand one thing about Judaism, this has been on the innermost sanctum, the core of Judaism. And everybody wants to talk about the stingy Jewish people. Why do they not talk about how much they give? It has been at the core of their faith. It's called Zedekah. Zedekah. I want to show you a statement from a Jewish website. Judaism 101. Listen to these words. They're pretty amazing. The word Zedekah is derived from the Hebrew root, Zadi, Dalit, and Kuf, meaning Zedek, which means righteousness, justice, or fairness. In Judaism, giving to the poor is not viewed as a generous, uh, magnanimous act. It is simply an act of justice and righteousness, the performance of a duty, giving the poor their due. Moving on. Giving to the poor is an obligation in Judaism, a duty that cannot be forsaken even by those who are themselves in need. Sound familiar? Because this is exactly what Yeshua taught. This is what Tobit was teaching his son. 
Some sages have said that Zedekiah is the highest of all commandments. We discovered this today. Equal to all of them combined, and that a person who does not perform Zedekiah is equivalent to an idol worshiper. How true that is. This statement is fundamentally taken directly from the scriptures and just brought to life. Beautiful articulation. This is what Zedekiah is. This is what we've been called to called to righteousness so in closing let's just close this out and let's just look at some of the effects the power that giving alms gives when we give alms the lord will bless us in all that we do i call that beneficial when we give alms we offer a sacrifice well pleasing to the lord it unlocks the gates of heaven it saves from death and purges away every sin it strengthens us in our sickbed it delivers us in the time of trouble it prepares us for the day when we'll be in need i want to give alms this is this is this is good these are things that i want to possess when i cry out i want the lord to hear me we're going to close with this verse in acts 20 i have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak And remember the words of the Lord Yeshua, that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive.